0: Temptation. There's the subject tonight. Sadly, I'm in no doubt about its relevance to all of us. We all experience temptation. I presume we've all had times when we've grown to ourselves and thought, why did I fall for that? Why did I do that? I expect we all have recurring temptations. And sometimes think, will I just keep falling for it? Am I never going to be over that one? So let's get help for temptation from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Last time we were going through the whole of chapter 10. We've been tending to take 1 Corinthians in big chunks. Last time we saw how the whole chapter fits together. And remember, the subject was the Corinthians facing this issue, this temptation to get involved in idol worship, to eat meats offered to idols. And we've been seeing about choices and decisions that we face that are not exactly their choices and decisions, but the principles here help us with our issues we face. That was the whole chapter we went through pretty rapidly, quite a lot of material last time. This time, we're just going to take this one verse. Here it is, verse 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. As we go along, I'm hoping we'll see some ways that this fits into the context. So we're not going to be ignoring the context around it that it's in. But we're mainly just going to be taking this verse as a statement that. It's true on its own even if we didn't know the context. It can be understood on its own and it helps us in our temptations. By the way, I'm expecting this is the last sermon on 1 Corinthians for a while because my plan is then we'll take a break from 1 Corinthians over the summer and come back to it sometime, not quite sure when, later in the year. So, Verse 13, let's get help for temptate, with temptation. If it helps you with following sermons, the green sheet shows you where we're going with this and how I'm structuring it. First thing is the first thing in the verse. Temptation is the common experience. Verse 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Now, as we've gone through this letter to the Corinthians, it's been very clear, these Corinthian Christians, this church, they they had a very high opinion of themselves. They thought they were a cut above other Christians. It, It partly went with living in a rich city. They were sophisticated city dwellers, exceptional, above the other people living around in the more backward villages. And maybe it got into their attitude to the idol feast situation. Maybe they thought they faced an exceptional situation. idol worship was so ingrained into their culture, to separate from it would make them too culturally odd, too cut off from unbelievers. Maybe some thought, this is such a minefield of complex issues. No one before has faced such a difficulty like this. Maybe some thought, in the past, life was simpler. You know, if we'd lived back in Old Testament times, or even in the land of Israel, life would have been simpler then. You could avoid sin. But now we're in a much more sophisticated society, and we're living amongst the Greeks, not amongst the Israelites. Life is just so much more complicated. We can't avoid taking part in sin. And verse, well, they wouldn't have called it sin, idolatry. They probably wouldn't have called it that. And verses 1 to 12 have told those people that's not true. Verses 1 to 12 have said, God's people in the past have faced temptations just like yours. So verse 7, the Israelites in the wilderness faced idolatry. And verse 7, idol feasts. And verse 8, the sexual immorality that tends to go along with idolatry. And verse 10, grumbling against the people God had put over them in the church. And all of those are exactly the same as the Corinthians faced. God's Old Testament people were surrounded by the same sins as the Corinthians were surrounded by and lapped up those sins and their bodies were scattered dead in the desert. Verses 1 to 12 are saying to the Corinthians, the temptation you face is not anything new. Verse 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. It's all been experienced before. And that is a warning. It's a warning. Look back at past examples. It's also an encouragement, but we'll come on to that later. First of all, it's a warning. What about us? Could we be like the Corinthians? Do we ever persuade ourselves the temptations I face are unique? There's, there's a particular black blend of pressures in my life that others don't face and nobody else understands. Do you ever think like that? I think most of us do at some time. It, it's, it's unique. Other people don't get it. Well, it's true. It's true. We do have details that are unique. Our circumstances, combined with our personality, does result in some details that are unique and no one else has exactly the same thing. But also, there are ways those temptations you are facing have been faced before by others. When we persuade ourselves, my experience is unique. No one else has quite faced this. What are we doing? We are cutting ourselves off from others' help. They can't help because they won't understand, because this is unique. We are making ourselves closed to advice. How can they advise? Because they won't understand. And we're putting ourselves out of reach of the Bible's examples, because we can always find a reason why that example doesn't quite fit. And as we do that, we are paving a way to our heart for the devil. Fancy that. There's an English phrase, and they were quite familiar with paving the way. But think of what you're doing. There are defences around your heart God's word, fellowship with other Christians, advice from Christians. But when we start to think, my situation is unique, no one else gets it, we are running a steamroller over those defences and flattening them out and laying down some nice paving slabs and maybe putting up a nice welcome sign too. And the devil has a nice path to your heart. And he can tell you, that's right, that's right. You've got reason to pity yourself. It's only to be expected you react in this way. All that stuff about the fruit of the Spirit, it's all very well for them. But they're not facing what you are facing. You're in this on your own. And do you see, he's got you in his trap. The Corinthians thought their position was unique. We can often think that. And like so much else in 1 Corinthians, behind the Corinthians' attitude was failure to appreciate the cross shape of Jesus' life, the cross-shaped life of Jesus. So often it comes back to this, what was life like for Jesus? How does he relate to verse 13? He experienced temptation that was common to man. He experienced what was common to man. His sinlessness wasn't because God protected him from your type of temptation. Every type of temptation he experienced, not the exact details, of course. He didn't have a mobile phone. He didn't have the internet. He didn't have all sorts of things that we have. But every temptation, he experienced a form of it. We've got to take in again the cross-shaped life of Jesus to see no temptation has seized you except what is common to man and even experienced by our high priest and saviour. The next part of the verse, let's move on. The second part of the verse tells us God is in control of it. We've had temptation, it's, it's the common experience of mankind, next, but God is in control of it. Verse 13, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. God is in control of it. Now, as you hear that, you might think of another verse in the Bible that seems to say something different. James chapter 1 verse 13 says, when anyone is tempted, don't let him say, God is tempting me. Now, however you might understand your temptation, you can't say, it's God tempting me. It's because God, he has nothing to do with sin. He hates sin. It isn't God who tempts us. God never desires to induce anyone into sin. God is never aiming to get someone to sin. In no circumstance is it God's desire that someone would sin. Now, this is really hard for us to get our head round how it can that can be true, and God was in control, for example, of when people took Jesus to the cross, which was certainly a sinful action. but some things we just have to admit that's above our pay grade to work out how those go together. God never desires to induce people to sin, but he is in control of our circumstances. He is in control of what comes across our path. He is in control of what comes into our life and tempts us. I get that from this verse. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Well, that doesn't work unless God's in control. And if you don't believe that he is in control of your circumstances, even the ones that tempt you, you can't pray the Lord's Prayer. Have you thought of that? You can't pray the Lord's Prayer. Why not? Well, how can you pray for God to lead you not into temptation if he isn't sovereignly in control of the details of your life? Our verse tells us, God is in control of what comes across your path. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, that means also this. He does bring into our lives things that are hard to bear. He brings into our lives things that are hard to bear. That clearly follows from the verse. Let me give you two examples, and they're both ones we heard the other Saturday if you were here at our at home day. If you weren't here, you missed some great teaching, and I think it got recorded. I think I'm right in saying that it was recorded and is available somewhere or other, probably On the web, I don't know. But we heard these two examples, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Paul said, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Far beyond his ability to endure. God can bring into our lives things that actually they're beyond our ability to endure on our own. Did you notice those last three words are the key words? Beyond our ability to endure on our own. Paul had circumstances that just he would not have managed on his own to cope with. And then famously, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 gives us another example of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these great visions that Paul had had, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. that's, That's very strong language, isn't it? God allowed, God in fact gave the Apostle Paul something that... He describes as having like a being like having a thorn stuck in his flesh, and it tormented him, and it could even be called a messenger of Satan, even though it was God who allowed it to happen. Why? Did God remove it from him quickly? Verse eight Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God didn't remove from him something he just found so hard to bear. Why not? My power is made perfect in weakness. To teach us our weakness, to keep us reliant on him, God can bring into our lives things we find very hard, To bear. But he doesn't bring into our lives temptations beyond what we can bear. That's what our verse tells us. He doesn't bring into our lives temptations beyond what we can bear. They may be beyond what we can bear on our own. They're certainly beyond what we can bear in our own strengths. But if you're in Christ, you are not on your own. And you're not left reliant on your own strengths. Think of it like this. Imagine, think of temptation as a heavy weight, and you've got to hold that heavy weight. In verse 13, God tells us he doesn't promise to take the heavy weight off you. But he does promise to give you the strength to keep holding it, strength you wouldn't have on your own. Yet that think of temptation as this heavy weight, God does not promise I'm soon going to take that weight off you. I'll eventually take that weight off you. He may not. But he does promise, I will give you the strength to keep holding it and not dropping it. Notice that our verse and other parts of the Bible are telling us, if you're in Christ because of the gospel, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, you can resist each temptation that comes to you you know that? For every temptation, there it is in black and white, for every temptation that comes to you, if you're in Christ because of him, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, you can resist that temptation. Now, there is an important lesson here that it took me a while to learn, and I learned it from listening to someone who was teaching something untrue. Now, is it a good idea to listen to people teaching falsehoods? No, I'm not here to recommend that. But as I, I was listening to someone teaching something untrue, and actually it was in personal conversation, and as I was trying to discuss it with him, I realised I'd also got something wrong. He was still wrong. I didn't come to the conclusion he was right, but I came to the conclusion I was wrong also. And it went like this, you see. He was teaching that Christians can achieve sinless perfection. I heard that. I was shocked. Horror. You can't believe. And actually, he was teaching it that Christians can achieve sinless perfection. And I was arguing with him about this. And as I did, I didn't get one round to his position, which I still am convinced is wrong. But I started to see i would got something wrong. And I put it like this. I was getting the small print and the big print of the gospel the wrong way round. I was getting the small print and the big print of the gospel the wrong way round. I'll try to illustrate it. Imagine there's an advert from Thomas Cook, you know, the holiday people, Thomas Cook. And the big headline of the of the advert says 50% off holidays to Tenerife. That's a good offer, if you like going to Tenerife, 50% off. And then there's small print. And the small print says, applicants must be over 18, resident in the UK, and the offer closes October 2022. Well, that's reasonable small print, isn't it? You can't complain the small print makes the big print just not true. It just tells you the limits. Now, imagine you go into a Thomas Cook shop in town and the representative says, here's a deal we've got for you. Applicants must be over 18, resident in the UK, and the offer closes October 2022. And that's all he tells you. Well, that doesn't work. That's rather silly, isn't it? He's told you the small print, but what about the big print? Surely that's where he should put the emphasis, the big print. I think we so often get the big print of the gospel and the small print the wrong way round on this subject of Temptation and fighting sin. You see, the gospel gives us a big headline. It repeatedly gives us great offers like this. What the law couldn't do, God did by sending his own son. So we do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. That's a great offer, isn't it? That's Romans 8. Or it says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That's all things in terms of fighting sin and following Christ. That's Philippians 4. Or it says, we pray that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Well, that's a big print offer. That's Colossians 1. Or it says, may the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will. That's Hebrews 13. Or it says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. That's 1 John 2. And on we could go. So many more examples of the Bible saying, look, in the gospel, God gives you all you need to fight sin. There is no one temptation where you can say, God didn't give me enough. I just had to do it. But the gospel also has a small print and the small print says the world, the flesh and the devil are still around and are coming. And so anyone who says he's managed to stop sinning and never sins is a liar. That's the small print. But down through church history, because some people have said, oh, yes, you can achieve sinless perfection. And we've rightly wanted to say no, no, no. We've tended to make the small print the big print and get them the wrong way round. And put all the emphasis on you won't be sinless. No, you'll keep falling for sin. And we've turned the small print and the big print the wrong way round. Because the big print of the gospel is in Christ. By the work of the Holy Spirit, you have what you need to overcome that temptation. Temptation. Getting the small print and the big print the wrong way round leads to defeatism. Now, I can't remember if we've got any sports psychologists here this evening, but you don't need to be a sports psychologist to know if you go into a match expecting to lose, well, you're probably on the way to losing already. You've half been defeated already. And one of the devil's main traps is getting us to believe there's no point resisting this temptation. You know you've fallen before. You'll just fall again. So why struggle? Half an hour's time, you're going to fall for it. So just might as well give in now and get it over and done with. One of the keys to fighting sin is believe this verse. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Here's the third thing about temptation. Third thing in the verse. Let's read it. It says. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Here's the third thing. God gives a way out. God gives a way out to his children. God always gives a way out. Do you ever look back on a sin and say, I had to do that? There was just no way round it. I had to do it. I doubt it. Surely, don't you look back and think, well, I do. I think, oh, you idiot. Why did you do that? Why didn't you instead do this? You don't have situations where all you can choose is the lesser of two evils. Do you know that? We sometimes talk about situations as if all you can do is choose the lesser of two evils. But there is no such situation where all you can do is choose the lesser of two evils. Because that would mean you had to sin. And again, as as with all of these things, we're brought back to thinking about Jesus. Now, what would that mean for Jesus? If God allowed you to have situations where all the best you can do is the lesser of two evils, that means Jesus not sinning was rather artificial. It means Jesus not sinning was just because he didn't face one of those types of situations. Because if he did, he would have had to have sinned. And that would mean he wasn't our perfect high priest. Either because he sinned or because he just managed to avoid your sort of temptation. So how can he be your high priest? And then your gospel's gone. So God always gives his children a way out of temptation. He makes it possible not to sin in that circumstance. What was the Corinthians way out of this temptation? They were facing the temptation of getting trapped back in idolatry again. What was the way out? Verse 14. Verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. And Paul's going to go on to tell them, or more accurately, the Holy Spirit through Paul is going to go on to tell them, don't go to the idol feasts. Get out of those idol temples. That's the way out. That's the way to avoid falling under temptation. Verse 14 is the Holy Spirit saying to them, here's the way out. Now, Corinthians, you have to do it. If they don't do it, they can't claim any comfort from verse 13. They can't complain, God didn't provide a way to escape, he did. The way to escape is told them, verse 14 onwards, but they didn't take it. And if they don't take it, instead of finding comfort from verse 13, they find themselves back in verse 9. Verse 9 that says, we should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. They find themselves back in testing Christ. I'm not going to do what you say and I'm looking to see if you'll get me out of it. They're testing Christ and heading for death. And if you think you can't say that about people in churches, that they could be testing Christ and heading for death, If you think you can't say that about people who've been baptised and know the gospel, you haven't taken in verses 1 to 12 that we looked at last week. That say you could look like God's people and have all sorts of privileges. But if you think you can get away with playing around with sin, you're heading for death. That was the Corinthians way out. What about our way out? What about us? What's an equivalent for us? I'm going to pinch an example from someone else. Here's an illustration that I thought was good that I read from someone else. A big ship needs to go into harbour, but it's a harbour that's up an estuary. And the the captain of the ship, he doesn't know his way up this estuary. He doesn't know a safe way in. And so he calls on his radio for the harbour pilot. The harbour pilot is a person who comes in his little boat and he comes on board the big ship to help them get into harbour, up the estuary. And the captain says, oh, it's great to see you, sir. Now you take the wheel and I'll sit down because you know the way and I don't. And the harbour pilot says, no, no, it doesn't work like that. I'm not licensed to drive this big tanker. No, but I do know the way, unlike you. So you're going to stay at the wheel of the ship, captain, and I'm going to tell you straight ahead here. That's fine. That's good. Now five degrees to port because there are rocks there. And now there are sandbanks ahead, so let's go 10 degrees to starboard. And the harbour pilot tells the captain what to do, but he expects the captain to carry on steering the ship. That's a picture of the Holy Spirit. He knows the way safely to our harbour through the rocks and sandbanks of temptation. And he tells us things like chapter 10, verse 14, flee from idolatry. And back in chapter 6, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. And many other directions he gives us across the Bible to show us the way safely into harbour around the rocks and the sandbanks of temptation. And he reminds us and he prompts us and he uses our conscience. Don't you find this? Don't you find it inexperienced? Yes, you read the Bible, but don't you find him bringing it back to your mind when you need it? I do. So often, he's told me, don't look at that. Stop thinking those thoughts. Get something else in your mind instead of thinking those thoughts. Get up out of bed and begin the day properly seeking God. And if I don't... So often I find I end up in the sin that he was showing me the way to avoid. Have you experienced that? You've ignored his promptings and ended up in the sin. He was just showing you the way to get past. He tells us, but we have to do it. Do you see the illustration of the harbour pilot and the captain of the ship? He tells us, but we have to do it. Have you noticed the last part of the fruit of the Spirit? Do you know Galatians, is it five or six? Five, I think. Thank you, Brian. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, so on and so on, until you get to... What's the last one? Self-control. It's interesting, isn't it? It doesn't say spirit control. It says self-control. Yes, the Holy Spirit gives it, but we have to exercise it. You see, he's the harbour pilot. And he tells us, but not so that we sit back and put our feet up. When I heard that example, my reaction when I heard that example was, wow, what a, what a patient harbour pilot he is. When I thought of, of how many times he's told me the way and he's warned me about rocks to avoid and sandbanks to, and I've, I've just ignored him and done my own thing. I thought, I'm surprised this harbour pilot hasn't abandoned ship yet. Because remember, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a computer programme running and telling you. It's not artificial intelligence telling you the way ahead. He's a person. I thought, I'm amazed he hasn't abandoned ship yet. How patient he is. How patient he's been with me. But chapter 10, verse 1 to 12, do warn us Don't presume upon his patience. Listen to him. Do notice the last phrase in the verse. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God doesn't do this so the weight can be lifted off you. He doesn't do it so you can sit in the armchair and that's it. You're relieved from the pressure. He does it, verse 13, why? So that you can stand up under it. There is a way out, but it's so you can stand up under it. What a combination. God's sovereign purpose may be for you to keep facing a temptation. God's sovereign purpose may be for you to keep finding it a struggle and keep feeling your weakness. I'm sorry, we'd all rather hear different news from that, wouldn't we? But it may be God's purpose, but it is not, it is not, it is never his purpose for you to keep sinning. He does provide a way out. Well, I'm sure there's much more that could be said from this verse. But I'm going to end there. I'm going to end with this. One of my favourite film scenes is Kenneth Branagh. In Henry V. Kenneth Branagh playing Henry V. And it's the speech before the Battle of Agincourt. There are the English vastly outnumbered and they're going to go into battle and they're feeling discouraged and Henry V, he says something like, and Crispin and Crispian there shall pass till this day, from this day till the ending of the world. I won't try to keep going, but if you know, is this, it's the one we few, we merry, happy few, we band of brothers, Amazing, rousing speech, and off they go into battle. But all it is, is a rousing speech. It doesn't really have any substance behind it. If you analyse the words, there isn't really anything that's going to help them in the battle. It's just roused them up. Well, this week we're going into battle. I hope we realise that. We're going into battle this week. Because we will face temptation. We will need to fight. And God gives us not just a rousing speech. No, he gives us, verse 13, solid truth. And it has substance behind it. What's the substance? right there in the middle. God is faithful. And it has evidence to back it. Our high priest has lived the sinless life. And then he's died for us who haven't lived the sinless life. And now he lives forever to give us the Holy Spirit and to intercede with the Father for us. So let's go out into battle with temptation this week, confident. No temptation will come our way except what is common to man. And God will be faithful this week. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but he will make a way out so that you can stand up under it.